It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. You can also tune in on various podcast platforms. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. You can give us a ring at 973-667-1960. You could use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show on our entire podcast network. It's on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll get to your phone calls and tweets along the way. Today, we'll focus on a variety of topics, mainly some of the added depth that the Giants have put forth on the roster over the last few days. Some guys who took part in rookie minicamp, others who were claimed off of waivers, and some news around the NFC East that clearly impacts the division and the outlook for some of these four teams. Paul, looking forward to these next 60 minutes. How is everything on your end? Uh, Good to talk to you again, Lance. Hope all is well by you. And, you know, obviously we're in a bit of a black hole here as we try to reach for things the mandatory rookie camp is over, and the well, the voluntary rookie camp is over. The mandatory veteran mini camp coming up on June the eighth, and until then, we're kind of treading water with uh, bits and pieces and crumbs of news. But I certainly can't wait to finally get to that mini camp, which is going to be a couple of weeks away. Absolutely, and that will also be a sign of us inching closer to the start of the season, which is also a big positive development. But the Giants, unlike other teams, have actually made some news over the last few days, which is nice because they've added a few players to the roster. We'll get to a few of the guys that were added based on their performance at rookie minicamp, but in a smaller minor move, but still somewhat notable. Yesterday, the team claimed running back Raquel Armstead off of waivers from the Jaguars. They also waived quarterback Joe Webb to make room for him on the roster. Remember, We're at the stage where it's a 90-man roster. There's going to be a lot of changes. Teams are constantly looking for new talent to bring in and evaluate, especially in the midst of another offseason, which is far from conventional. But Armstead is a player that did not take part last season on the field with the Jaguars. Unfortunately, he had some complications from COVID, and you never want to see anybody have to deal with that. That was the main reason. He didn't opt out. I think that's important to clarify. He unfortunately had complications, so the team put him on the COVID reserve list. But this was a fifth-round pick, Paul, in 2019. Local product. He went to Temple University, and he did play in all 16 games as a rookie with one start. A mix of areas that he can contribute. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He can run. Also a special teamer as a return man. So here's somebody on the back end of the depth chart. You bring him in. You have him compete. And you see what he could do. And that's exactly what every team, including the Giants, is searching for at this stage. Well, he's a local guy, you know, from South Jersey. And that's one of the reasons why I think the... Uh, you know, the the connection there to, to Jersey is going to be fun for him. I'm sure that's one of the reasons why he wanted to come to the Giants, knowing that their running back depth chart was a bit thin and slim. I'm guessing he, well, he could have been an Eagles fan too. I mean, I, I don't know, playing at Temple. But, but I would anticipate, you know, he's certainly very much familiar with this organization. And, you know, when he was at Temple, he had a couple of years where he ran for over five yards a carry. Uh, had, what, a 900-yard season and a 1,000-yard season. So it's not like he came out of nowhere. He was an accomplished back. You mentioned he was a third-day draft choice. So personnel people around the league must have thought he was worth a pick. And, uh, you know, we will see. I mean, look, I've made it very clear, Lance, uh, going into the draft and then after the draft, the Giants need to have some numbers in the running backs room because you you want to make sure you've got some insurance in case Barkley isn't Barkley. And, you know, I thought they might go for a bit more accomplished of a guy like an Adrian Peterson or maybe a Todd Gurley, for example. But instead, they've gone for some uh, lesser names who are less expensive but have had some flashes or some signs Uh, of substance where you could say, all right, maybe this guy could be uh, a help if we need to call on him. And so they've accumulated between Clement and now uh, Armstead, they've accumulated two veterans off the scrap heap this week who are young and still could hold some potential. 
Yeah, the other guy that we don't mention very often because he was at the tail end of last year and then they gave him a reserve contract who also fits that veteran umbrella is Tyquan Mizell, who spent some time with the Chicago Bears. He's also still on the roster. So I would say it's three veterans in addition to Gary Brightwell, who they drafted out of Arizona as a late round pick. So you've got volume now. And let's be honest, they're probably going to keep three running backs, Paul. Do they keep four? Unless somebody just absolutely blows them away or worst case scenario, an injury occurs in training camp that they didn't anticipate, then maybe you have the conversation for four. But in all likelihood, there's three spots to grab for the running back position. Now, do you want to include Elijah Penny in the four? It depends on how you break it down. I consider the fullback a separate category, so I'm not including him just for clarification in this conversation. I'm talking about, Paul, three legitimate running backs Mm -hmm. there's room for on this roster as far as I see it. Saquon Barkley, there's nothing to discuss there other than him continuing to rehab an inch closer to training camp. I think based on the contract they gave and how early they signed Devontae Booker, I would say it's safe to say that he has a very good chance to be the backup. So you're really looking for the third running back at this point. Correct. Correct. And I'm not so sure that Gary Brightwell, who was drafted on the third day as a special teams guy, is that third back, which is why I, I continue to beat the drums to bring in a veteran. Now, you know, I, I know you mentioned Mizell, and, and you're right. We tend to forget about him because he was signed to a reserve deal at the end of last season. I, I um, You know, I just don't know. I, well, I, I don't just, consider him an every you know, down back if that's what you're referring to and your well, hesitancy is about. I would well, agree here, with you. Here's there. how I feel. Let's just say Barkley's not able to do what they need him to do, and they've got to shut him down for a few games or for a month. And they say, look, Saquon, take your time. We don't want to screw this up long term. We know your career is more important than just a few games. So let's say they have to shut him down for a month, just for argument's sake, hypothetically. And he doesn't play in September. Who's going to be your primary back? Well, right now, Devontae Booker is going to have to be that guy. I'm not so sure that Devontae Booker can carry the ball or touch the ball 20 times in a game over the course of a month. So I would like to see another guy in there so that it's a two-headed monster. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting is, if not bringing in a guy who can you know, handle the ball 15 to 16 times a game, certainly a guy who can handle it maybe up to 10 times a game, so that he can split the duties with Devontae Booker. And that's why I've been after somebody of that nature, because I do think that's an important insurance policy that the Giants have to have in place if Saquon is not ready. And I think we're looking at the kinds of guys that they believe can fit that role, because it's obvious the Giants are in complete agreement with me that they needed to enhance the depth in that room. That's why they brought these guys in. They must have thought along the same lines that I was. Now, remember, when Barkley went down due to injury early in the season last year, they did go outside of the roster, and they brought in Devontae Freeman who unfortunately then got hurt, and then that opened the door for Wayne Goldman. So remember, just because you've got three guys that make the roster doesn't mean that in the event, God forbid, somebody does get hurt, that you still can't explore outside resources. I wouldn't necessarily rule that out, but at least on the surface, to your point, Paul, if you're saying, okay, you don't believe one guy could carry the load, which, let's face it, in today's NFL, very rarely do you see a team rely on just one guy. Correct. You can see Devontae Booker and Corey Clement, realistically, you could give those guys 10 carries a game and run yeah. the ball 20 times. That's I think, feasible. I think that's that's reasonable, and I think, you know, that's why they brought him in. And I think that's also why they're saying to a guy like Clement, okay, you're here. Well, guess what? Armstead's here, too. and let you, Let's see if sure. you two guys can fight it out. No doubt about it. And I like the fact that you add volume because – Once again, you have the luxury to do that with a 90-man roster. You might as well take advantage of that. And keep in mind, Corey Clement, which branches us out to some of the other transactions, he and Kelvin Benjamin took part in rookie minicamp, and they both signed contracts after that. But Clement had been in Philadelphia for his first four seasons in the league, but he'd been playing behind Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. And keep in mind, last year, even when Sanders got banged up and missed some time, he didn't necessarily all of a sudden leapfrog and get an immense amount of work. So they understand what Clement's role has been thus far in the NFL. 
And then you look at Armstead. Armstead, you have the intrigue of, okay, a guy that was drafted not too long ago, but also somebody that hasn't been on the field in over a year. So I think all of these guys that they brought in, the good news is they're veterans. They've been in the NFL. They understand what it takes to get on a roster. The intrigue is, though, the sample size is relatively small for all of these guys, meaning you don't really have enough work to look over over the course of four or five seasons and say, hey, if I was to put him in this role, I know exactly what I'm getting. And that's another reason why I think they're adding some volume because all of these players that we're talking about, I'll even throw Devontae Booker into there. If you look at his role over the course of his NFL career, he hasn't been thrown into a situation where, hey, Devontae, you're our guy. We're going to give you the ball 20-some-odd times, or we're going to give you 20 touches a game, and we're going to see what you can do. So that, I think, is another reason why behind Barkley, you have guys that have flashed here or there, but haven't necessarily run away with a top-notch role in their previous stints. I think the other thing to keep in mind here, Lance, is that we still do not know what the NFL is going to do with the practice squads. And so there's nothing wrong with accumulating these fellas now with the understanding that there'll be a competition. The guy who wins a spot on the 53 gets the jersey, but the guy who doesn't maybe winds up on the practice squad as an insurance policy in case something goes wrong once the season starts. There's nothing wrong with that either. And so, you know, I, I applaud the Giants for doing this. Again, it's something that I kind of thought about uh, all along, and they have enhanced the depth at the position. I think the, the other thing to keep in mind, too, about the, the, the running back spot, you know, I think it's safe to say that Jason Garrett is going to try to get a little, more, a little more fancy and a little more trickery going on with this offense. Maybe trickery is not the right word, but I do think he wants to, in his second season with this team, try to add some things, try to uh, put – put more layers into the playbook, if at all possible. And isn't it better that you add these complimentary veteran contenders now so that they have a few months rather than, let's say, wait until training camp and then see if somebody gets cut and then you throw a guy into the mix then? Because he's not going to be able to help you right away, Lance. You know what I mean? No, I completely agree with you. Hey, the earlier I get a player on the roster, the more familiarity he gets with the offense. I am completely on the same page with you. The only thing I will throw out, though, and I think I've mentioned this previously, because when Garrett took over as the offensive coordinator, part of the conversations we had on this show, Paul, was, well, what could be the usage or the breakdown of carries, if you recall, with Mm -hmm. Saquon being the number one guy? How much work could Wayne Goldman get or somebody else? And I pointed out that when Zeke was fully healthy and wasn't suspended that season. Garrett and the Cowboys' offensive coaching staff, they gave Zeke the workload. They didn't look for ways to get other guys on the field. So, listen, it's possible with Barkley coming off a significant injury, that gives them the thought process of, hey, we need to make sure that the guy who is the next in line is extremely comfortable or maybe we have a package of play so that we get him some work so that in the event we have to make the transition it's not like baptism by fire but remember Tony Pollard was playing behind Zeke and Tony Pollard actually I'm not trying to get off topic I'm just bringing this up as a example of maybe how it applies to the Giants he had one or two really good games this past season because Zeke missed one game due to injury and he flourished it was the game against the Niners late in the season but that was really our first glimpse of wow, this is what Dallas has on its bench. We haven't really been afforded to see that, mainly because of the fact that when Zeke's healthy, Zeke's getting the football. And I can guarantee you they're going to try to do that with Saquon. I mean, the goal is he's a weapon, as I've mentioned, Paul. You don't bring Saquon back, and you don't all of a sudden keep a bandage around him and worried about, oh, my God, he's going to get hurt again. So I'm under the impression Saquon's coming back. They're going to give him the football. But to your point, this is the time where maybe you think about, God forbid there's a setback, you don't have to worry about a week or two of practice in week two and week three getting another guy ready. I think that's fair. Better to be safe than sorry. And that's why you buy insurance. I I will say a little bit of disappointment uh, is coming for me here in that I liked Alfred Morris. I I thought he did a nice job for them last year as an emergency signee. I know he's 32 years old. I know it was only a limited role in spot duty. But, you know, really good locker room guy, really good teammate. Certainly, you know, when he was in there, 
you knew the ball was going to go between the tackles. I mean, he caught that one touchdown pass, which was the first touchdown catch he had ever had at any level in his career, and that was kind of funny. But, you know, they caught the defense by surprise because nobody in the world thought that Alfred Morris was going to go out for a pass in the red zone. But, you know, this is a guy who, you know, despite some modest success as a reserve over the last half a dozen years or so, I, I thought, you know, brought something to this team. So, obviously, by the additions that the Giants have made, they don't think that our Alfred Morris is, is part of the solution. And so, uh, you know, he's not back. That does disappoint me some. I, I, I did think he did a very admirable job when called upon. Well, let me look at it from a different lens here. Maybe the philosophy is, because here where you talk about familiarity, Morris is the guy that you could bring back in week two. He's already operated in the offense. So you don't have to worry about that transition period. Instead, maybe the philosophy is, Paul, hey, we need to get a little bit younger at the position. No disrespect to Alfred Morris, but he's been in the league for some time, right? Sure. So let's bring in guys now when we have the time to evaluate them. When you go through the list here, Corey Clement is entering season five. Devontae Booker is entering season six. He's 28 years old. Clement is 26. Mizell's 27, entering his third season. Brightwell's a rookie. And then Armstead was a draft pick in 2019. So he's entering year three. Technically, though, it's year two of actually getting on the field. Mm -hmm. So when you combine all those forces, maybe the philosophy is, hey, we got to get a little bit younger behind Saquon. Maybe we groom somebody that we can teach the offense and grow with and develop, just like they did with a guy like Nick Gates when he redshirted one year. And then, listen, hey, if it doesn't work out, Paul, we don't see guys flourish. We don't get what we want out of the preseason. We pick up the phone. And we give Alfred Morris a ring, and we know that Alfred's going to come in and he has comfort with the offense. That very well could be part of it. I mean, to be honest with you, these kinds of guys who they've signed over the last week, and I guess you could put Bizell in the same category, are kind of like the Andre Browns of the world, if you recall when he was yeah. here some years ago with the Giants. Sure. A guy who had had some spot duty in the league, not necessarily had set the world on fire. You know he's coming in to be a backup or be an emergency starter. And you're like, okay, you know, he did some really good things in school. And there's a reason to at least give him a look. But, you know, it doesn't have the kind of accomplished resume that some of the other names have, you know, who we have talked about over the course of the last several minutes. So, you know, look, if it works out, great. I, I did like Alfred Morris. I wish him well. I don't even know if he wants to play. To be honest with you, that's the other part of this, Lance. He's 32 years old. He's played nine years in the NFL. Maybe Alfred Morris told the Giants, I'm done. Very possible. Maybe he's carried the ball for the last time, and he's not interested in playing in 2021. And maybe that's another reason why they decided to look to some of these younger guys. Well, and that's why I go back to developing a younger guy. And you're right. Maybe they did get feedback from Morris. And also, maybe Morris said, hey, at this point in my career, I don't want to go through off-season workouts. I don't want to go through camp, right? There's a lot of guys, Paul, that they have that philosophy. <laughs> Just We've known give me them. a ring, right? <laughs> give me a ring when you need me, okay? I'll work out on my own. So yeah. it could have very well been one of those conversations. Remember, we forget because so much time has gone by. 2012, 13, 14, 15. Mm -hmm. He was the every down starter for the Washington football team. He played all 16 games. He had three straight 1,000-yard seasons. It seems like that was ages ago, but that was Alfred Morris. Yes. So very early in his career out of the gates, he got a lot of the work. The last part of his career, he's been more of a complimentary back, and that's why his philosophy may be, hey, let me preserve what I have left in the tank. I don't need to go through camp. I know Jason Garrett's offense. I was with him in Dallas. I was with him here with the Giants. I'm sure that could have very well been a conversation. That's why I wouldn't rule that out when you were looking at it from the angle of you were disappointed. Those conversations could have taken place already, and he's more of, hey, here's the insurance policy we can easily turn to in a pinch. Speaking of insurance policy, before we open up the phone lines, I want to piggyback off of a point you brought up because I was actually having this conversation recently on Sirius, mm -hmm. and I think it is related to what we were talking about with the running back position about there is still the unknown about what the practice squad is going to look like. They have not finalized any of those plans. Right. We know last season, 16 spots on the practice squad. You also had six on the practice squad where there was no limit on the amount of years that they played, so that gave a lot of flexibility. 
Remember, it used to be 10 guys. Then they built into the new CBA. They would gradually increase that number, and they were going to get to a point where they was going to go to 12. They yes. made an immediate jump to 16 because of COVID-19. Now, yes. I've been on the record, Paul. I know you're in favor of adopting it across the board moving forward, regardless of the circumstances of the country. I look at it more of it served its role and purpose for COVID. Now let's see what happens as we get closer to the season. If there is still a concern about a player testing positive, you're losing him last second, I'm all for the continued expansion of the practice squad. If they feel they've got a good grip on things, then I'm for giving those guys an opportunity to make 53-man rosters. But the other thing I wanted to add before I get your response here. Here's the different dynamics this season compared to last season. If we have preseason games, and we are under the expectation we will, this year you're not going to have the luxury, Paul, of hiding guys, okay, where you don't have to worry about exposing them in a preseason game. The guys you truly want to evaluate, you're going to want to give them some preseason snaps. So now sure. there's going to be a lot more film, is my point, across the league. So if the Niners are looking for a running back and they watch the Giants in a preseason game, Maybe they say, wow, that guy wowed me. I want to claim that guy. So the thinking and rationale in terms of who you play in the preseason, how you go about trying to hide players, it's going to be a little bit different than how it went last season when you didn't have to worry about a preseason game. No, I, I understand your point. And, oh, by the way, in addressing the preseason, Mike Reese, uh, one of the longtime reporters up in New England who covers the Patriots, actually had put out a tweet yesterday in discussing what the Patriots' plans are going to be during this offseason and hinted at the fact, and this is totally unconfirmed by the Giants, but I think it's relevant because it does involve them, that Bill Belichick is considering the possibility of uh, dual practice sessions with the Giants leading into their preseason finale against the Giants. And those practice sessions, by the way, would be up in Foxborough, even though the game is down here at MetLife Stadium. Uh, that was, you know, I, I know that's a little bit off topic, but as you were talking about practice squads and regulations, it just kind of, I don't know, just kind of hit my head, and I wanted to get it out there before I forgot because uh, that's, uh, again, they're, they're waiting for COVID protocols, too, sure. to yeah. be in place or, should I say, be cleared out before they decide to do anything of that nature. But a cooperative effort by Belichick and Judge, the two head coaches, does seem to be somewhere on the top of the stove that they're cooking up something. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Paul, why would they practice in Foxborough? That was what the uh, the tweet from Mike Reese had said. It just they seems would, odd. They, why would they, the Giants travel twice? That he had them practicing up there and coming back home for the game which I found to be rather odd, but it was very clear in his tweet. Okay. I'm, the good news is it's not an extremely lengthy trip from that no. standpoint. And so, the Giants have done that before, yeah, if correct. you recall. I mean, it's Many years manageable. ago, they went up to Bryant University up in Rhode Island, and they had dual practice sessions with the Patriots. That was uh, much earlier during my career. Well, and it's not a surprise that the Giants in New England may be talking about that because, hey, when you have relationships amongst the coaching ranks, right, you turn to an individual that you know well because he trusts how you run your team. And also the close proximity angle works in favor of both teams. But I think you hit it right in the nose, Paul, when you talked about protocols because before the NFL gives the green light for teams to travel which is unnecessary, I would say, because once again, you want to limit the travel, right? You want to limit the interaction with other teams. I think they want to feel comfortable about how things progress between now and the start of training camp. So I think any plans, and I'm talking about any team. I'm not just talking about the Giants. It could be discussed in detail. All of the plans could be laid out, but the NFL is not just all of a sudden going to be given a green light. They're going to want to monitor things and make sure that everything is in line sure. from that standpoint. And remember... The Giants, not too long ago, had joint practices with the Lions. Now, the difference is that game was then played in Detroit. So <laughs> they went to Detroit. They mm -hmm. practiced there. But once again, that required a plane trip. A little bit different when you're dealing with going to New England. So that'll be interesting to see whether or not that actually comes to fruition. We'll get more into some developments within the NFC East and what that means for a Giants division rival a little bit later on. But before we open up the phone lines, a reminder, limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. 
Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience. Watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Wednesday's edition, 973-667-1960. Bash is in Ohio and joins us now. What's happening, Bash? How are you doing? Um, Lance, how are you doing, Paul? Hi. Um, doing very well. What's on your mind? Uh, the, yeah, I was calling. I was calling. And I, was, I wanted to ask as far as since Paul brought up the preseason, as far as the preseason, I know it's three instead of four this season. I wanted to ask, do they know anything as far as the – um, what's the the third game that usually the um the game where they the dress the rehearsal game, game you're talking about which is usually against yeah, the Jets yeah yeah where they usually get the um three quarters they play the most now with it being three games instead of four is that going to still be the case this year as far as saying that maybe the second or the third game where the starters will play into the third quarter or they might not do that at all this season as far as being three games instead of four. My hunch, Bash, and I don't have any details on this because we have not talked to Coach Joe Judge about it, but my hunch would be that you would see your regulars in game number two. The Giants are going to open up against the Jets at home. Then they go to Chicago, and then they come back to face New England. I think the New England game, especially, you know, we understand that Belichick and the Giants have had this reciprocal relationship uh, for a preseason finale for a number of years now. I would suspect that is still going to be a bunch of your backups. And I think what coaches are going to want to do, provided the rules and protocols allow them, will be these joint practices because they'll kind of use those things to get a lot of the work done that they would like to have gotten done had they had the extra week of another game. And so, because look, I'm going to tell you right now, the coaches – they want as much of a chance to evaluate guys as they can possibly get. And and I think that's why the trend of these joint practices, if the protocols had not been in place and we did not face COVID, you would probably have seen a lot of NFL teams go to these joint practices even more than they have in recent years. That's just a guess on my part. I don't have an answer for you. I do know this. The local market television stations uh, have to clear these preseason games in those markets, and that's the holdup as to why you don't have dates and kickoff times for the preseason schedules yet, because TV needs to be consulted before they can come through with those. The other thing I'll throw out just in terms of the timeline, and I agree with Paul, I think if you have a joint practice, maybe the third preseason game's not that important to play your starters. If you don't have... The joint practice, I think maybe the emphasis is a little bit more to maybe give some of your starters a snap because if you look at the timeline for the start of the season this year, Sunday, September 12th is the first full Sunday. Of course, the Bucks and the Cowboys are going to play on the first Thursday, but my point is normally we have the last preseason game when we had four was the Thursday, which was a week prior to the opening kickoff game. So it's about a week and a half from your first game. If, let's say, they play their final preseason game two Sundays removed from September 12th, so that would be August 29th, that's two weeks, Paul, between your last preseason game and your first regular season game. I don't think there's much harm if you want to give your starters a few snaps. That's assuming, of course, that the last preseason game is that weekend as opposed to a little bit further in. I think... If you have a little bit more flexibility between the last preseason game and the first regular season game, if I was a coach, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable playing some of my starters and treating it somewhat like a dress rehearsal game. So that's something else that I think you have to take into consideration. Anything else you got for us, Bash? Yeah, one more question for Paul, and I'll take it off the um, air. As far as the rookie minicamp, I know they had the veteran tryouts. I know Corey Clement got signed as far as the thing, but I know – it was heard that Edo Smith was also there, so I wanted to get your take. I know that you was there. I know that I didn't see the practice or anything. I wanted to get your take as far as Paul, as far as Edo Smith and Clement. What do you think as far as Clement got the edge as far as being signed or as far as style or scheme as far as the Giants, as far as having edge of Clemens over Edo Smith? And I'll take that off the air. Yeah, well, what we tried to tell you the other day about this rookie minicamp and the the veteran tryouts were part of the the uh, 22 guys who came to the field is that they didn't do anything. 
they did drills, individual drills, and they had coaching sessions with pointers on the field. They actually didn't didn't run plays. They couldn't. They couldn't have a real practice. They didn't have enough guys. Uh, in addition to the protocols. So what Joe Judge said of these tryouts who came in, and we will include Kelvin Benjamin in that list as well, although he wound up being signed as a tight end, is that he wanted to see what kind of shape these guys were in, uh, what kind of mentality that they were bringing to the table, and just get a feel for them. So to be frank with you, I don't necessarily know if, if they signed Clement as much off of football skills as much as maybe he came in better condition and better in shape and maybe philosophically some of the things that he talked about on the field when he was with the coaching staff or maybe in the Zoom meetings, maybe that stuff just gelled better with what the Giants want to do. I don't think it's like Ido Smith had some things he could not do on the field because, after all, there were no snaps to be seen. You know, whatever these guys put on tape before they got here is what's on tape. And that's the reason the Giants gave them a call in the first place. Can yeah, I try very quickly on the preseason schedule real quick, guys? What do you got, John? Yeah, sure. I just think it's interesting. I think we talked about this on a, on a Friday show, right? Where they actually eliminated the fourth preseason game. And this is what Lance was saying earlier. And I think he makes a really good point, right? So that was the game that, you know, the starter sometimes never didn't even suit up that Thursday before the regular season. Yeah. So they eliminated that week of games. Yeah. The other three games, and this is the exact point you were making, Lance, are in the exact same spot that they were. So the third preseason game is actually still like in the same position as the third preseason game as it's always been before. So I do think it's fascinating here how coaches will handle this because if they, let's say if they treat that last preseason game like they have last preseason games before – you're looking at guys not seeing action in a real football game for three full weeks before mm -hmm. the regular season starts. I almost think that's almost too long where you don't want the guys not with their pads on getting hit for three straight weeks. So I do think it's really interesting how the coaches are going to approach this. I suspect, John, the week leading into the regular season, you will have tougher practices. Again, I don't know what the CBA rules are going to be, they're going to tweak things this summer. We know that. They already had to for COVID last year. Uh, if I were a coach and I decided that I wanted to put my guys on the field in week two of the preseason, then I would make sure, A, that I had a joint practice session with another team, and then, B, following that third preseason game, I would want to be able to hit my guys. Right, but I guess my argument, Paul, then why wouldn't you have done that in years past? Like, if you're afraid of putting your guys on the field two weeks before the regular season starts, why were you playing them in the third preseason game two years John, ago? John, I think it's going to wind up being personal preference. Right. I don't think there's going to be a hard and fast rule to this. Yeah. I just don't. Well, I mean, the third weekend, at least based on my look at the calendar here, if you go to August, and I think I was accurate and I may have been off, but I said August 29th. That's the Sunday. That's two weeks prior to the first Sunday of the regular season. So normally... The third preseason games are spanned across Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I believe. Yeah, like, that for example, weekend. the Bills play the August 28th. That's their final preseason game. Okay, so that's Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sure there's got to be probably some games on the 27th and maybe the 29th. Yeah, and, or... and honestly, probably maybe even that Thursday, the 26th. I think that's probably possible, too. Yeah, but normally, though, to your point, then if you go a week Ahead, September 2nd would have been the fourth and final yes, preseason Correct, game, absolutely. That Thursday. Yep. So that's eliminated. So that's why, once again, piggybacking off of what we were talking about, if I'm a coach and I know I've got two full weeks before we have a regular season game, I would be okay giving my starters first quarter snaps. I would not be fearful of that. I mean, because that's what you've always done. Yeah, right? exactly. So why should yeah. I change up my schedule? I would still would be giving them those snaps two weeks prior to our first game, and I know that... I'm going to want to still evaluate some of the guys on the back end of the roster. So once again, once the first quarter ends, normally, you know, those guys sometimes play until the third quarter. So I'm maybe not going to play them as deep into the game as I normally would, but I'd probably want to get at least a quarter and a half at most out of my regulars. Well, I don't have a problem with what you guys page. are saying. I simply don't think that it's going to be equal across the board. Well, I, no, think I think there will right, be some Paul. coaches who don't want to play their guys, period. Well, here, here's the other thing that I think is an issue then, too. And Lance, I think you just referenced this, which is interesting. 
you want to see, you know, Paul, you know how this goes, right? By the time you get to the final week of, of the preseason in the old days when we had the four, the old days, right? When you had four preseason games. Two years ago. It was a long time ago. So um, you were old enough to remember that. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, you probably knew heading into that final preseason game, Paul, what would you say, 48 or 49, maybe even 50 of your final 53? Yeah, if you point? have a really good team, you probably only have maybe three spots open. If you don't have a really good team, you might have as many as six to eight. Right, but my, here's my question, though. How many roster spots are you sure of two weeks before that final uh, two weeks before your regular season game, when they had the final preseason game now. So, and this is the point Lance kind of made, there's a balance, right? If you need to see some of these guys on the roster bubble in extended time, does that then take some of your starters off the field sure it does. when they would play more? So, I, look, I haven't really thought this through. I'm kind of doing it on the air as I talk to you guys. <laughs> but I, I think it's a real fascinating dichotomy to see how these coaches handle it. Yeah, well, this is why those joint practices will be valuable tools for as many coaches sure. who could possibly schedule them. The problem is, right now, you don't know how many teams are going to be allowed to do so. Yeah, or what the league is willing to expose those teams to. Remember, sure. I mean, once again, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. And don't you, you think know, the things... players' union is going to get involved in that sure. too? Well, here's the thing: if the players' union is arguing they don't want to show up to their own team facility where they're testing these guys, mm-hmm. what makes you think, Paul, that they're going to feel they're comfortable not about be going to a facility happy. where they don't even work out on a regular basis? Oh, that's why I think the idea is refreshing. But whether or not the idea can actually be implemented is a whole other story. I think we have a number of obstacles and hurdles that we have to overcome. Because remember, the goal is let's get all the games in. Let's have the least interruptions as possible. I think at least if you were to ask me from the NFL standpoint, that would be, I think, their goal. The other thing, which once again, as we're having this conversation, it branches out into 100 different things. Just from having conversations with people from the broadcasting schedule standpoint, one of the reasons why... They were originally debating about having a week four bye, which clearly they're not having this season. Then they had some schedules that they put together where they had a week five bye, but the schedule they ultimately decided on had teams only with week six byes, just to take you through some of the fascination beyond the schedule. But my point is, the reason why they didn't want to have a week four bye like they normally do with the extra game is because part of the mindset was, well, wait a minute, if all teams are going to have two weeks off, before the start of their first regular season game, why would we give a team a week four bye? Mm -hmm. They're going to argue we've had two weeks to sort of maintain balance on our roster and rest guys. Why do we want to rest again after playing three games? So that was also part of the reason why they wanted nothing earlier than week five, but the way the computer came out was the earliest bye obviously is going to be week six, and the latest bye now is going to be week 14 which has never happened. Normally, week 13 is the latest buy. So to me, it's also going to be fascinating the feedback the league gets. A team that has a week 14 buy, was it ideal to help you then make a surge to the postseason and do like what the Bucks did last year when they had a week 13 buy and never lost the game after that? Or what about a team that has a week six buy and then has to go through a marathon even longer after that? That's going to be something interesting to watch, too. The good news for the Giants is they have a later buy, so I think that's beneficial. Yeah, Paul, we asked Fields about this, and he always said he wants the later buy, right? He said he wants it right in the middle of the schedule. He, he, he was perfectly thrilled with the Giants having it in Week 10. He said from a player's perspective, that's where they want it. You don't want it too early, and you don't want it too late. Well, he certainly said he hated the early buy. He Can't said stand he it. Hated it's kind of ironic, so Jeff, I, complaining about when a buy occurs. Well, <laughs> I mean, no, well, no, but I think because he – I don't think in Week 5 or 6 you're tired yet, and you want a break. That's no, fair. Yeah. You're not no, banged well, up. That was my point. Yeah. You're not banged up. You know, Especially but I mean, the- to think about this now, you're right. I mean, the the bye week now extends all the way to week 14. And I'm sure, I am absolutely sure that over the course of the years, as if this continues and that's where some of these buys land, you will have teams, players, and coaches complain that 14 is too long. I'm sure you're going to get those. Uh- Absolutely. Well, you're always going to find coaches that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Some are going to say we love the early buy. Some are going to hate it. But this, to me, is extremely interesting because you have a pretty wide spectrum of bye weeks this year. And also, just think about this. If you had a week four bye, this is why I'm glad the NFL didn't do this. You get week four off. You've played three games. 
And that means do the math, okay? With 17 games, that means you have 14 games left without any bye week. And oh, by the way, if you're fortunate enough to get into the postseason and you go on an unbelievable <laughs> run, Paul, do the math even more. I mean, think about how long you're going to go without giving your team any rest. Would you want to be in that position? Uh, look, I, I hear you. But again, you're not going to get any sympathy from me because I covered the USFL for three years, okay? And I know what it was like to have an 18-game schedule plus playoffs. You know, I had no problem with it. But you get people today who like, oh, you can't do that. Gotta, gotta have, gotta have a rest. Can't have that many games. I, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Well, once again, the new structure has certainly brought up some interesting conversations. So I will say that. And one other side note before we head back to the lines, John earlier was referencing we're all old enough to remember when they had the fourth preseason game. I would say we're also old enough to remember when they actually used to cut down the roster from 90 to 75 and then to 53. So that's another uh, element Lance, that used to be in play. Yes. I go back to six preseason games. Well, listen, the reason why I limited it to that is I didn't think you'd want to date yourself on this program. So it, no, it's okay, but you, okay. Know, you know the funny part about it? When, when I was a kid growing up and they had the six preseason games Which was a long schedule, time ago, by the way, but go ahead, yes. Well, yeah... <laughs> We're talking late 60s, early 70s, okay? And the truth of the matter is you, you, you never thought that those six games were too long when they were playing them. And I know it sounds crazy now because if you tell somebody today that there's going to be six preseason games, they are going to throw such a temper tantrum, and they're going to tell you as a fan, absolutely no way. But that's the way it was then. It was a part of life. You had six preseason games. That's it. End of story. You never questioned it. You never complained about it. You just said, okay, we're going to watch these six preseason games. The starters are going to play a whole chunk of snaps, and then you're going to play the season. Of course, then the season was only 14 games. Okay, it wasn't wasn't 16. So that was also part of the equation. So as a fan... You said to yourself, okay, we're still getting 20 weeks of football, 6 and 14 instead of 4 and 16. You still had 20 weeks of football. Yeah, but I'd rather have more meaningful games of football. Understood. Would you argue that? Oh, no, 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 no. In retrospect, I'm thrilled that they did what they did. But what I'm saying is at the time, you never heard anybody complaining that there were six preseason games. Not a peep out of a soul. And it was only after they changed it and gave more beef to the regular season that people said, oh, my God, how in the world did they play six preseason games? It's amazing. Well, I will say this. Give me games over anything else with respect to the offseason. I would live with six preseason games if that cut out some of these other quiet periods, but six is certainly a lot to digest. And also, I think with the coverage and television and online media, that has changed the conversation where people are into more meaningful games as opposed to tuning into a high volume of six preseason games. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder to everyone, let's get vaccinated. Go to covid19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. 973-667-1960. That is the telephone number. Dave is in Texas joining us now. What's happening, Dave? Good uh, afternoon, fellas, or morning here in Texas. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to talk about Saquon a little bit, okay? Sure. Okay. Okay. I don't like the way they use him. Um, he's, he's a powerful, powerful man. And I see him dance behind a line of scrimmage. I see him jump out and lose three or four yards because of poor blocking. He, he should put his head down like O.J. Anderson and beat the hell out of the offensive lineman and the damn defensive people. <laughs> and the second thing is when he jumps over a player, all I see is a broken ankle, a pulled Achilles tendon. If he was with Bill Parcells, his ass would be on the bench until he learned to run the ball the way he should be running the ball. And that's I'll take your answer off the air, fellas. Love your show, and I'm here in enemy territory, 30 miles north of Dallas. Oh, my God. Okay, talk to you later. <laughs> I buddy. can sense the stress in your voice, Dave. Yes, appreciate the phone call. Thanks for tuning in. Well, you know, the one thing I will say is I wouldn't classify, Paul, his point as to the utilization of Saquon Barkley. I think what he was pointing out was Barkley's decision-making, more so than how the his team style. utilizes him. Correct. Yeah. 
So I, I think we got to be a little bit careful, and I know maybe that's the nuance of the conversation, but in fairness, that to me is not how the team uses him. That's what he's deciding to do when the football is in his hands. Now, what I was reminiscing about when he was describing that is, remember, first of all, Saquon only played in two games last season, actually not even two full games. And if you remember, the one full game he played in was the Steelers game in week one. And yes, he was doing a lot of dancing, but you know why he was doing a lot of dancing? Because by the time he got the handoff, Paul, how many guys were right up in his grill by the time he got the handoff? That's a swarming defense you're talking about there. Yeah. So that was really, I think, the takeaway from his production last season. In previous years, I think you could point to, yes, sometimes the dancing maybe came back to bite him. But my philosophy is when it comes to a running back, yes, you want to be able to make them tweak their decision-making and their style here or there. But I think, Paul, at the same time, a big reason why Saquon is who he is is you let him do what makes him unique and special. And I think like any other coaching staff, you got to walk that fine line to determine how are we going to allow him to be comfortable so he's not overthinking. Because the minute you start getting a running back to overthink, that's when all of a sudden you're eating into his production. So you have to be careful, I think, there. Well, the other component, and I've brought this up on the show many times before, I don't know if the caller has heard me talk about it, But a running back must be convinced. If he's going to run instinctively, he must be convinced and he must have trust that his offensive linemen are going to block the play appropriately. And that's a big deal. The chemistry between the offensive linemen is one thing, but it's another when you have chemistry between the running back and those offensive linemen. Joe Morris always used to tell me, When he would take the handoff, he needed to know that Carl Nelson was going to run his block a certain way so that he could run the ball where it needed to be run. And if you talk to other running backs over the years, they'll all tell you that. But it was Joe who first caught me on to this back in the mid-'80s. It was one of the nuances of the game that I had to learn through experience of covering this league. And and that is a very, 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 very big part of what a running back does. He's got to be able to trust the play and trust the players up front to block it as it's been diagrammed. Only then can he instinctively hit the hole and run through it like he was designed to do. If he doesn't trust that they're going to block it correctly as it was drawn up, He starts to dance. He starts to look for an escape hatch. He starts to hesitate. And this is a lot of what you have seen with Barkley over the course of the first two seasons when he did play a ton because he did not have the kind of offensive line that he was able to trust on a snap-in and snap-out basis. Folks, I know it's hard to understand if you haven't played the game or if you haven't been around it and don't have the opportunity to talk to these guys, but that's what I'm trying to help make you understand. This is a very big part of a running back's success. He must have trust in his linemen, and that's going to take time. This Giants offensive line is new again this year as far as Barkley's concerned. You mentioned it, Lance. He played a game and a quarter behind the 2020 offensive line and now it's the 2021 offensive line he hasn't taken many handoffs behind nick gates or parrot or thomas i mean will hernandez is the only one of these five offensive linemen who could potentially start opening day who has done a whole lot of blocking for saquon barkley All right. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say that before people understand it. So let me make something very clear. Saquon Barkley may even be 100 percent by week one, but do not expect him to be running for 115 yards a game during September. It probably will not happen. He's not only got to shake off the rust, the physical rust, the mental and emotional rust of what he's gone through. He's also got to develop trust, respect, and chemistry with the offensive line. Barkley is almost assuredly going to get off to a slow start this year. Folks, let me warn you now. He will not, he will not put up 
Saquon Barkley numbers in all likelihood through at least the first month of the season. The question is, will he at least be physically fit and good enough to allow the Giants to do enough of things to where defenses have to still respect him? But don't expect typical Barkley performances until the second half of the year. I'm looking through the old lines just to emphasize your point. I would say Nate Solder probably is the second guy behind Will Hernandez who's been on the field the most with Saquon Barkley. Sure. But remember, that was on the left side, and if he is back in the starting lineup this year, now he'll be on the right side. But and we don't the, know if he will be. Correct. And the right side of the offensive line in the first two years for Saquon Barkley, the 18 right side and the 19 right side, completely different. He was not with the same guys in 18 as he was in 19. And then the right side has changed again while he was injured, and Nick Gates just took over at center. So Will Hernandez and Nate Solder are the two guys that you could say there's a respectable number of snaps that Barkley's been on the field with those two. Everybody else, the sample size is pretty much non-existent when you take all of that into consideration. Yeah. Let's head back to the phone lines. CJ is in the Bronx, and he joins us now. What's happening, CJ? CJ going once. Hello. CJ going twice. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yes, you were close. We, we, were, we were right at strike three. We were check swing territory. I'm just warning you. Bro, if he averaged 70 yards in September and 40 yards passing or even 20 yards passing, is is that good enough to be more comfortable with his progression in the year for Saquon? What, I, I didn't catch the first part of your statement. I'm sorry. You said 40? If he runs for 40 yards a game in the first no, month? Rush for 70, for first average 70 yards a game, and he caught like 40, 40 yards pass in max? Oh, That's I think you'd be very happy with that, don't? wouldn't you? Yeah, I would like more rush. I don't want this pass. Into, I want to run it down their throats. I mean, if, if, Barkley, if Barkley can give you a combined 100 yards from scrimmage a game over the first month of the season, I think you'd be pretty darn happy with that. I, I, I certainly would because I'm going to tell you now, I'm not so sure that he will give you that. But if it does come to fruition, I think that bodes well for this offense. All right, but if he has 15 carries, maybe 10 to 15 carries, and most max five, yards, five catches a game, and he averages like that 100, 110, that won't well, be that bad. That's too much on his knees either. Well, you see, here's the thing. What what you need to establish is the defense on the other side of the ball has to respect Barkley enough when he's in the game that he is going to be able to do something dangerous to them. It's not necessarily the production right away. They just have to believe as they see him when he's moving or when he gets his limited attempts. They have to be able to say to themselves, okay, he's probably not going to touch the ball 25 or 30 times in September, but when he does touch it, does he still have the explosion and the potential to take the ball to the house? That's what you need. As long as he can establish that respect again quickly, he can be effective, even with limited reps, even with a limited amount of trust in the offensive line. The reason why I ask that is because our first four games, and just the four games, look at everything else doesn't matter right now. Broncos lost a couple guys on free agency. Washington, well, that might be our only worry for the rushing game. Falcons, it's just Jerry, Grady Jerry, and that's it. And the Saints, the Saints could be dangerous, but... I'm talking about just running, going to run defense. Going to run defense. Oh, the Saints could be very dangerous. What are you talking about? I mean, you're talking about Cam Jordan. You're talking about Peyton Turner. They got some big boys up front. Yeah, but they let Rankins go, and they have, uh, I don't think, I mean, Well, I, Rankins I, I was not... hurt, though. Keep in mind, Sheldon Rankins was barely on the field for the Saints. He was always banged up. True. True. And Denver, by the way, Denver, listen, their secondary is really good, but keep in mind, you know, they got some guys up front. Von Miller's not bad against the run, okay? And he's coming back. So I wouldn't overlook it this much. CJ, CJ, let me explain something to you as well, and, and I think you get this because you alluded to it in your question. How many touches is Barkley going to get a game? That's, that's one question entirely in September. 
But the other question is how many of them will be running plays and how many will be passing plays? It may be advantageous to begin the season as Barkley tries to develop the trust behind that offensive line, that maybe two or three of those touches become unbalanced and become more receiving touches instead of rushing touches. Because if he shows that he can be dangerous simply with his own talent and ability, he can throw scares into a defense, catching a screen pass, catching a short, uh, a flat pass, or catching a wheel route. That can scare the big dickens out of a defense as opposed to if he's trying to find the hole, figuring out if the right guard's going to block it correctly. All right. Well, one, we got to figure out who's the right guard. If it's Hernandez or even Soda, I'll be more confident with Hernandez than Soda. Because Soda's a big dude. I'm, thinking, I'm not going to trust him on a three technique or one technique on the inside. Work well, Soda's not going to be a guard, I will tell you that, if that's what uh, you're referring to. It could be Fulton. Yeah, it's not going to be Solder at guard. Solder would be yeah. in line for right tackle, not right guard. Well, just in case, what if, the, what if uh, Perth did something really good in the preseason that caught the offense? Uh, the the um, man, I said his name last week. <laughs> the offensive line coach and Jason Garrett's eye that that he said he has potential, he gets more time. And you know how older vets are; it's either they want to play, they don't want to be on the bench. So that's why I also put that I, I put it as a hypothetical for Solder at guard because. Is he either let him go if he, if he doesn't want to play guard, let him go. If he's comfortable being a, a backup to Perk because Perk won the, uh, won the gig, that's even better for us because that means a younger uh, Hernandez and Perk I have no problem with on the right side. Well, listen, Let's I start. think where you're coming from, CJ, and we appreciate the phone call. What you hear a lot of offensive line coaches say and head coaches say is we want to get the five best offensive linemen on the field, okay? That's a common phrase. But I think you also have to be realistic. If a guy never played guard before on the NFL level and he's been in the league for a decade, you have to question are you actually doing what's best for your team by putting a guy into a position that he has very little experience in. There's a distinct difference between those two. So I understand you want to go the hypothetical road. I don't even see the hypothetical road putting Nate Solder at right guard. And even if he doesn't win the right tackle spot and it is paired or somebody else, you need a swing tackle because they've rotated tackles based on what they did last season. Remember, just because you start there doesn't mean you're going to play all the snaps and you don't know if somebody, God forbid, is going to go down via injury. So there is extreme value in holding on to a guy like Nate Solder, whether or not he wins a tackle job or not. I would argue that I would campaign for him to make the 53-man roster even if he doesn't wow the coaching staff and earns a starting job. You don't throw that experience to the wayside. Well, so let me quickly. throw this at you, Lance. Robert Gallery, remember when he played for the Raiders? Sure. And they wound up moving him inside the guard because he didn't work out very well at tackle. He's the tallest regular guard that's ever seen action in an NFL game at six foot seven. Solder's six foot eight. That is not the <laughs> desired height for a guard. It just it's it's not good. You want a guy who's got a lower center of gravity, who's not gonna have trouble bending and getting down and, and powering his way in between the tackles, or for that matter, having the kind of athleticism to get out and pull, or if he's got to get out to the to his near edge. It just, you know, he's, Solder, I, look, I'm not going to call him clumsy, but at six foot eight, with the lack of athleticism and foot speed that he has, I personally would not even think about him as a guard. Well, I just go by, to your example, gallery transition to left guard in his fourth season in the NFL at age 27. Nate Solder, okay, who is in his early 30s, who once again is a decade into his career, it's a complete difference in going to a guy a decade into his career after playing right and left tackle. Yeah, by the way, we're going to experiment with yet guard versus a guy at least three years into his career who still has some fine-tuning to throw out that idea. I think that's completely <laughs> different. I still think you're at the stage in Gallery's position where you can make that adjustment. To use that old phrase, to teach a dog new tricks at this point in Nate Solder's career, I think that's a bit of a stretch. It's nothing against Nate Solder. It's just you don't see that happen very often. Actually, the best example I could give you, and it's a completely different position, Paul, is when a player transitions from corner to safety. Charles Woodson, for example, okay? Woodson made the transition very late in his career. But once again, I don't think it's that immense of a change 
from going to corner to safety versus tackle to guard because you're also coming from a place where you're used to operating in space. So there are some slight differences. But that's the best example I could give you where a guy very late in his career made a transition to a completely different position. Does not happen very often. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Charlie's in Portland, Maine. Why are we extending time? I don't know, but I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. Hey, Lance. Hey, Lance. Hi, Paul. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Lance. It's been a long time. Can't say the so, same uh, pleasure on the opposite <laughs> end, but anyway. What do you got, hey, Charlie? I, what do you I, got? I, I, I agree with, Paul, I mean, uh, with Lance about Nate Soldier. We need Soldier. We need to have a veteran swing tackle and a piece that. Thank God we got one. We need a vet. So anyway, but Paul, I, I have to disagree with you about Barkley. Barkley is a different cat, man. The thing is that the Giants offense might not block it up nine out of ten times and, and just be awful. But if they block it up just once, right, he can go for 40 or 60 yards. That's all he needs is that one time. Bar- so wait a minute, Charlie, will. Charlie, we're not disagreeing. Barkley right. can break a play at any time of the day. No one's going to disagree with that. And, in fact, it's that part of his game that provides the respect on the other side of the ball that scares defenses. So we totally agree. But the point is, don't expect him to put up Barkley numbers right out of the gate because the blocking is not going to be just so, and he's not going to be in sync with it. That's not to say that maybe once a week he doesn't run off a 45-yard touchdown. He might still do that. Well, that's what I'm saying. So he's going to get his 50, he's going to get his 60, 70 yards because he's going to break one. Okay, but I don't expect them to be running for 120 a game in September. I just don't. Yeah, well, maybe not 120, but I I think because of his ability, and even if they don't block it up, you know, only once they do it right, that's where he can make up a lot of yards, and he could get a 75-yard touchdown. So there, there he is. He's got 75 yards already. So, yeah, but you can't expect that, Charlie. That's got to be more uh, like a lightning bolt that just happens to hit right. You can't go into the season expecting that he's going to do that every week in September. You just can't. Yeah, as great as he is as an offensive weapon and appreciate the phone call. Well, some people appreciate the phone call. Others may disagree. But anyway, getting back to the point at hand. You can't go into a game thinking he's going to break for 75 to 80 yards every single game. Even though he has the ability to do that. I can't pen that in. I will say this, Paul, as we put a bow on this conversation. I don't think at the end of the day it really matters how you break down Saquon's production. If he could get 100 scrimmage yards, if 70 comes from receiving and 30 comes from the ground, and I'm I'm being extreme with the 30. But my point is production's production. You don't get brownie points for how you manufacture it. If he can get out in open space, he gets some of that yak yardage. If it comes after a run, fantastic. If it comes after a two-yard pass from Daniel Jones and he picks up 20 yards after that, that's fantastic also. It really it doesn't matter at the end of the day. I disagree so, with you, Lance. I think on one hand, you're right that any threat that Barkley can provide that earns the respect of the defense is good. So in that regard, I agree with you in that he just needs to put up some numbers to make the defenses understand that he's a threat. But here's the one problem. If it's not so much in the running game and the Giants are only getting yardage out of him in the passing game, now you've got guys who are going to cheat. Because if they don't respect your running game, if Booker or somebody else does not provide some rushing yardage, Teams are now going to cheat against the pass. The Giants will become one-dimensional, and you're allowing the defense to, uh, you know, to, to overplay one part of your game. So it is important to some degree that Barkley does give them something in the run game. It doesn't have to be consistent, and it doesn't have to be frequent right out of the box. But he's got to give them something because you must keep the defense honest. I just, to me, a guy like Barkley and a guy like Christian McCaffrey, keeping the defense honest, I'm not saying it's not important. It's just, to me, it's not as crucial compared to other running backs in the league. And the reason being is, Paul, if you underestimate those guys, they can get hot with one carry. They can run for 10 times and gain 20 yards, and then on the 11th carry, he could break away for a 75-yard run. So I can't afford to cheat 
when a guy like Saquon's on the field. That's why I don't put the point of emphasis as you are on a guy like that. If we're talking about Mike Davis, not to pick on Mike Davis, but he's the Atlanta Falcons running back who was previously with Carolina. He backed up McCaffrey. Mike Davis is not getting production on the ground. Yeah, I could cheat on Mike Davis. I can't cheat on Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley because of their ability in the blink of an eye to change a game. You don't so know that's that, why, though. once again, I'm looking more of production overall. You just don't know that yet until he puts something on tape. He's got to put something on tape in the first couple of weeks of the season that shows he can still be that flash of lightning that can burn you taking it to the house. Until he shows that, you don't know that he's got that back. And that's why he must earn that respect again. You know, Lance, you're only as good as your last play. Reputation only takes you so far. Now you've got to show it to me on tape. If I don't see it on tape, I'm not going to respect it. I know I'm going a little higher than in mental levels here, but you've got to understand what I'm saying to you. No, and I understand that you want to see what a guy does come back from a torn ACL, but I think in Barkley's case, because he's not necessarily an old man, his reputation, at least in the early stages, is going to help so that teams can remain honest. And we'll certainly continue to carry on this conversation moving forward. I know I was teasing something about the NFC East. We'll tackle that on tomorrow's show, how that impacts the Giants as well as the rest of the division. With that being said, we appreciate everybody for tuning in to today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Stay tuned on Thursday, a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live starting at noon Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.